Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We think when God is reproving us, he's angry with us. And we just live our lives like the gods are angry. I did something wrong. It was last Tuesday. And and we think we're evolved. We act the same way as the ancients acted. We did the wrong rain dance. Now the harvest hasn't come. We We think the same way. We did something wrong, and now the the God of vengeance has come. But he's not a God of vengeance. He's a God of mercy. The justice has been fulfilled in Christ. Now God wants to pour out his mercy, but what he does do is he comes and he corrects you. And so I want to show you how God corrects you, why God corrects you, and his goal is to develop a strong spirit with you. Does that make sense? And I say this because the world and the enemy, and a lot of times the enemy uses a broken world, he wants to break your spirit. And you got people in your, your family. There might be people in this place today. You know people that have had a broken spirit. They go through such traumatic circumstances, they almost never recover on the inside. That is not the will of God. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a heart of confidence. He wants to give you a restored spirit. You can have a strong spirit in an upside-down world. I want to read some verses with you. In uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, it, um, it, it's quite a few verses, so we're going to have to kind of go through them all together. But I, I believe God's going to speak to you uh, from this subject. And, and um, uh, the book of Hebrews opens in, in, in chapter 12 out of chapter 11, which is all about the hall of faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 begins to name the great people in the Old Testament. It goes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It talks about Sarah and, and, and Noah and Rahab and Enoch and, and, and David and, and, the, and the, the great prophets. It just goes through the list of these people that did mighty things by faith. They, they were moved not by circumstances but by faith. They were able to see things that wasn't visible yet. They were able to see something that should be, that could be. So like by faith, Abraham left his home in search of a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a better place. By faith, Sarah, even though she was too old to conceive, believed that God could do the supernatural with her body and had a child. By faith, Enoch walked with God and then was taken. He just had a friendship with God, didn't die, disappeared. He's in heaven. That's faith. But then it goes in and says, by faith, these people shut lions' mouths. By faith, they, they stop the fire that burns. By faith, they stop the sword. But also, they endured the sword. They got caught. They bled. They got persecuted, mocked, and humiliated. And it says all these things that these people went through was all for the promise that was a long way off. It was, it was afar. They saw it. They saw what was to come, but they weren't able to reach it. And they're saying... And Hebrews 11 says, but their fulfillment, their promise, what they, what they knew they were called to, is going to be fulfilled through us. In other words, we are the continuation of Abraham's faith. We're the continuation of Sarah's faith. Their faith isn't fulfilled until our faith is fulfilled. We're the fulfillment of the promise. And so then he gets to Hebrews chapter 12, and he begins with verse 1. And uh, you can put that up if, if you have it here. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this, therefore, now after talking about all these people of faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What, What this writer is saying, and I believe it's Paul, for the first 300 years it was believed to be Paul. We're not quite sure because no one signed the book of Hebrews, but it's written like Paul, it sounds like Paul. And Paul uses this illustration a lot 
of running a race. And, and he sets us in this grand visual about, uh, from a, a, a Grecian or Roman style race where you're in a coliseum and you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It's not, it's not just a few people. You ever, you ever go like run track in high school or whatever? It's just like your family and then the other people's family. It's not, it's not just people that kind of had to be there. It's a supernatural, interdimensional uh, uh, crowd of those that have gone before you. It's a great cloud of witnesses are filling this stadium. And then Paul says, and you're in the race. You're in this race. And now you're running. Those that ran before you, they finished their race. They received the crown, but they didn't leave. They got up into the bleachers, and now they're shouting encouragement down to you. They're believing in you. They're for you. They're, they're witnessing your life. And, and they're, they're witnessing your race. And you are in the race. And by the way, we're going to see in the next verse here that Jesus has gone before you in this race as well. And so the writer paints this awesome visual. You can't get any bigger than this. A supernatural, spiritual, eternal coliseum filled with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and all these people that have gone before you. And, and, and I, don't know, I don't know who it would be that went before you, but for me, when I think about this, I, I also think about like, the great preachers like Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever, want, uh, ever preached, Martin Luther, those that have run that race before me. And when I have to write my sermons, I'm thinking about Charles Spurgeon. And I'm thinking, Spurgeon, he preached so well. I mean, he was the most incredible preacher of all time. I better not preach a bad sermon. Because this dude's gone before me, and he's watching my sermon. You remember playing basketball or playing a sport and there was a girl that you liked in the crowd? You know how hard you played? You know what I'm saying? Or, 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 or a band, you know, if you're trying to get signed and you know an agent is in the crowd, that's got to be your best show. You know, this is what he's saying. He's saying it's not just no, nobody's out of there. Abraham's watching you. Isaac's watching you. When I'm preaching, I'm thinking, Charles Spurgeon's watching me. And that dude could preach. George Whitfield's watching me. Billy Graham, he went on and passed on this past year, but he's up. Part of the great cloud of witnesses. And this Sunday, he's looking down and he's saying, come on, preach. Come on, share the gospel. Come on, tell them about Jesus. Bring them to the cross. Tell them about grace. And he's encouraging me and every other preacher that's preaching. There's a witness that's saying, I'm with you in this fight. I don't know who it is for you, but you got to know there is someone that has gone before you and they are witnessing your life. Maybe it was your great-grandmother or your grandmother that prayed over you. And the only reason you're here is because of her prayers. When she went to that finish line, she received her crown, and now she is shouting over you encouragement. She's for you. She's excited. She's proud of you. And when you reach that finish line, whoever that person is is going to be there, and they're going to say, hey, we knew you could have done it. Hey, when you tripped and you fell at the beginning, the crowd thought you were out, but I knew you. I was praying for you. I'm so proud of you. You got back up. You got back in the race. My, you didn't stay down. You didn't slack. You didn't sit. You got back in the race. I'm proud of you. You got to know all of heaven, all of heaven is for you. Because sometimes we think the gods are angry and the supernatural circumstances are against me. I'm just fighting supernatural battles, man. I'm just in sp- everyone's in spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Everything's spiritual warfare. Be like, oh man, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Some spiritual warfare. I don't know how I'm going to get through. Some spiritual warfare. It's like, no, it's just life, dude. Can I tell you what actually is happening in spirit? I mean, sometimes you are going to go through spiritual battles. But can I tell you, there's also something else. There's a great cloud of witnesses. And they're encouraging you. They're shouting over you. They're proud of you. They're with you. 
So when you run in this race, you're not running alone. You're running a race that those that have gone before you, they completed this race. In other words, this isn't impossible. Some people say, like, oh, Christian life, so impossible, man. I just can't do it. No, you can do it. Jesus did it. He made the way. Those that have gone before you, they finished the race. And this is not a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. It is a relay race. And the baton has been handed to you. Now it's your turn to run. And when you begin to come around that end and you see the finish line, know that you are completing a leg of the race that began with Abraham and it ends with your life. Such a, such a beautiful picture. This is who you and I are surrounded by. And then it, it goes in and says, so let us lay aside every weight. No, go back. Go, I'm still on this. We've got a long time on verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What, what he's saying here is, um, is you, you, need to, you, need to, you need to get rid of anything that would slow you down in this race. You need to lay aside every weight. You know, what's actually pretty funny about this is um, uh, back then, I don't know if you know this, in the first Olympics, they used to run these races nude, right? Weren't prepared for that horrible image. <laughs> they used to run nude, right? And, and, and what, what, what this writer is saying is say, hey, take that heavy coat on, off and just start running. Just have no wind resistance. Just <laughs> oil up and start, <laughs> and start running. They didn't have spandex. You guys are all like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. <laughs> they didn't have spandex back then. They didn't have Under Armour. So they, were, they had no wind resistance as much as possible. What's this writer saying? He's saying you need to, you need to take the things off you that are going to slow you down. It's going to slow you down. You need, you, need to, you need to take that junk off your life, this heavy stuff, because you, you want to run a fast race. You're not going to just run and jog. You're running to win this race. You're in the fight. You're in the game. And he's saying you need to take off, look, the weight, lay aside every weight and sin. In other words, there are some things that aren't sin that still slow you down. There's some things that aren't technically, fully, completely, morally, legally, philosophically, and, and pharisaically incorrect. But they're still slowing you down. You can justify your way that this isn't really kind of sort of a sin based on this obscure reference in, in the, the book of Lamentations. But come on, you know. You know. That thing's weighing you down. That thing's tripping you up. That thing's slowing you down. You know that that is impeding your progress. And make no mistake, God wants you to make progress. God is not saying, hey, I put you there. Don't do anything. Eat a lot of Cheetos. I'll see you in four years. That's not God. God's saying, I put you here to accomplish something, to be fulfilled, to have a mission, to make some things happen. I want to use you. But whatever is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. In other words, there are some things that would be sin to you that won't be sin to somebody else because it's just different for them. They don't know enough. They don't have that conviction. And, and maybe they can handle certain things. But if for you, you got more faith. And in other words, back then, they used to sacrifice meat to idols. And some people said, like, I don't care. Like, let's eat up. Other people were like, no, no, that was sacrifice to idols. And so what Paul would say is, well, if you feel convicted, don't eat that. Don't eat that, right? But if you feel like, let's go, you know, Idols aren't real. Let's have some steak. That's good for you. There are some things that maybe some other people, they're fine with, but the Holy Spirit says not for you. You came out of that life. Don't go even close back to it. You came out of that addiction. Don't even get near it again. You can't watch that movie. You say, well, it's not sin. It is for you. And if it's not sin, it's certainly going to slow you down. 
It's going to wrap you up. It's going to entangle you. You say, well, was it technically wrong when I flipped out and lost my cool? I don't know if it was sin or not, but don't you do that again. That's not how you're going to react. That's not how you're going to speak. Those aren't the words they're going to use. You ever hear a Christian try and curse? They don't even sound good doing it. It's like no one believes you. Why? Because right when they do it, the Holy Spirit says, it's not you. Everyone knows. Hey, it's not you. Go ahead. Try it again. Not you. It's just not you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's some things that you just need to get off your life. Because here's why. Here's why. You want to be able to take these next steps forward. You want to be able to progress. You want to be able to have some movement in your life. And whatever slows you down, you got to get it out. You got to get it out. Whether it's just the weight or whether it's sin. And by the way, sin, it clings closely. In other words, you're not just going to... You're not just going to walk your way out of sin. It clings. It's like the picture is it has claws. You're going to have to challenge sin. You're going to have to have conviction. You're going to have to make a plan of action. You're going to have to fast your way. You're going to have to pray your way. You're going to have to get some accountability. You're going to have to have some transparency and some honesty. Because sin, it's not even just like the, the thing you could throw off. Now this thing's clinging to you, and you've got to get its claws out of your heart and throw it to the side. Make no mistake, it's not, it's not easy to run this race but it is possible. And when you begin to put these things aside, you begin to pick up speed in this race. You begin to progress. You begin to become healthy and you get a strong spirit. Let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. God's not looking for you to make it to church two weeks in a row. He's looking for you to finish well. Come on, get some endurance on the inside of you. If I could be honest, for me, that's an area of my life I'm praying God will build up in my life. I want endurance. So when, because you know, and all the different things we're doing, sometimes things don't go the way we thought or we would plan. And sometimes things happen where it's like, oh, man, is this spiritual re- resistance? Even if it is, I can outlast it. I want my, my tolerance level, my pain tolerance to grow. I want to be able to endure hardship. I want to be able to fight another round. I want to be able to, to, to go through something that would knock someone else out of the ra- race. I want, I want to be able to endure it. Well, let's run with endurance. I pray we don't have weak need Christians I pray we don't have Christians that stumble and they say, that's it, I fell, I tripped, I'm out. I pray we don't have Christians that just because you start falling behind a little bit say, ah, oh, I give up, I can't, I can't, I, I don't know, I'm not as good at the race as them. Forget their race. You're going to run your race. Run it with endurance. Come on, keep at it. Keep pushing. Keep believing. Well, God didn't answer the prayer that I prayed yesterday, so... Pray again. Pray seven times. Pray for three years. And then if God doesn't answer the prayer, maybe it's a good thing. Because sometimes the, most, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you get what you pray for sometimes. I hear a lot of young people saying, I just want to be a pastor. Be careful when you pray that. You be careful. I just want to pray, man. You'll pray. You will pray. And people say, I just want, I just want, I just want her. You better make sure that, that, that God wants you to want her. <laughs> okay, all right, move on to another. Let's move on, verse 2. Verse 2, it says, but you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. He, he's the pioneer. He's, he's the author. He's the founder. He's the one that went before. He's the perfecter of our faith. You need to look, in this race, you need to look to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. So, so this is who we look to, to to figure out, are we running the right way? Are we running with the right pace? Are, are we in the right 
rhythm. I say this because a lot of times people will start out this race and be like, let's go. But quickly they'll start looking at other people and figuring out their race from, from their race. And, and, and the, the problem is like you, you can't run your race while you're looking at Karen. You can't run her. You can't, you can't run her race. You can't run your race while you're looking at Willard. You can't, you can't, you can't run their race. You know what I'm saying? Pretty soon, you're going to lose sight of what matters when you're constantly focused on well, what do they think and what are they, what are they saying or where, where, where are they at. And, and pretty soon, you're, if you're not careful, your life can be consumed by comparison. And, 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 and very quickly, you're designing liver, living rooms for people that will never even visit that living room. Because you're, you're living for people that don't even exist. They're not even paying attention. And you're trying to compare yourself off them. Look, if you compare yourself off Karen's race, what if Karen's making bad decisions? She's making some foolish decision. You're saying, no, I'm doing good in relation to her. Well, she's not doing that great. Is this getting too real? You need to fix, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because then Jesus will begin to help you align your life. I don't know how many people in this place you know, run, do, do running. Um, <laughs> but if you are a runner, uh, like I certainly am, you, uh, you know that like when you're, when you're running, you can't, you can't run looking directly down. Because if you do pretty soon, it's amazing how quickly you'll get off course. You have to, when you run, fix your eye on where you're headed. And naturally your rhythm and your direction will come into alignment with what's ahead. So the writer's saying, the writer's saying, don't look directly at your circumstances. Don't look directly at the temporary. Certainly don't look at everyone else that's running around you trying to gauge off them. You need to fix your eye on the goal. That's the one with the reward. That's the finish line. That's where I'm headed. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I think the problem is sometimes we get fixated on things that that are going to lead us the wrong way. We get fixated on things that aren't Christ. And, and I'm not saying they're not real. I'm just saying they're not Jesus. Sometimes we get fixated on the things that are happening to us. Or maybe you're struggling with something. Like anxiety. And there's a difference between struggling with something, which means you're fighting and you're in the fight. There's a difference between struggling and becoming fixated on something. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with some situations in your, in your life that are very difficult, but there's a difference between struggling and getting fixated on that thing, on the temporary. If you're not careful, let's, let's use anxiety as the illustration. If you're not careful, when it begins to come into your life, if you, if you choose to get fixated on that, it draws your eyes away from Jesus and draws it completely down into self. And all of a sudden, everything you're doing is about and around your anxiety. And you're reading books about the, your anxiety. You're listening to podcasts about your anxiety. And you're, you're, you're thinking about your anxiety. And that's all you talk about is your anxiety. You become like a vegan, you know? That's all you talk about. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're not struggling with anxiety anymore. You are an anxious person. You got fixated. I'm not saying you can't struggle, but I'm saying you need to fix your eyes on something greater than that. And he's saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because when you begin to get fixated on Jesus, what's so amazing is he begins to, he begins to realign you. He begins to realign you. You know, it's like you think you'd be having a really bad day until you look to Jesus. Let me read you this next verse. Look, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and protect, uh, perfecter of our faith, 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of the throne. Go to the next verse, because I want to show you these two. So consider him. Keep him in mind. Like, in all that you're going through, make make sure you're measuring it up to Jesus. Make sure he's involved in the decision-making process. Make sure he's involved in, in your Monday and in your Tuesday. Make sure you're, you're, you're thinking, reflecting. Your state of mind is on Jesus. Because that becomes a filter through which life begins to be measured. And that's when things begin to be measured correctly. Like, like, like for instance, if, you're, if you only consider yourself, which, by the way, is not difficult. That's absolutely what we... What we tend to, right? You just trend towards self-consideration. I'm thinking about me and what I'm going to eat and what I'm thinking about and what I'm feeling and why am I feeling that and blah, 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 and what am I going to watch tonight? And all of a sudden you're off in, you know, personal land and, and it's, that's, just, that's just our lives. But he's saying, no, no, don't forget. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Why? Because he's who you want to compare yourself to, not Karen. He's who you want to compare yourself to. Here's why. When you're going through a difficult time, and you will, you'll go through difficult times, you get to measure it up against him. Because if not, you're, you're measuring it up against nothing or yourself or someone else. And, and then it's like, oh, man, you know, like I woke up and, you know, like so there was something really bad on the news. And then, and then someone subtweeted me, which really hurt my feelings. And then, and then I think I'm blocked by someone. Well, maybe they muted me. And then, and then my boss was like, you know, he, he was being a jerk. He like, he, you know, he rolled his eyes at me. And I almost rolled my eyes back, but I didn't. I, you know, I just I thought about it. And, uh, and then I came home, and the house was a mess. And you know what? I just, I just, I can't go on. I just, I just can't live it like this. And it's like, I'm not saying that's not bad. I'm not saying you didn't have a bad day. But if you consider Jesus, you're doing all right. It's not like you were betrayed by your, by your best friend. And you sweat blood at what was to come. And you were whipped and scourged and beaten and lifted up on a cross. And in the midst of that, somehow able to say, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And it's not like you, you, you died and you gave up your life even though you were completely and totally innocent. You didn't have that kind of day. But Jesus did have that kind of day. So make sure you're comparing yourself to him. Because after I look at Jesus, I say, you know what, this day was tough. But it's not something that's going to kill me. It's not something that's going to take me down. The cross is greater. Jesus is for me. I'm with him. We're going to persevere. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. But here's why. So that you don't grow weary. And you don't, you don't become faint-hearted. When you begin to consider Jesus, you begin to become consistent. I'm not downcast. I'm not weary. I'm not like faint-hearted, like I just can't do it on the inside. No, when I consider Jesus, I say he endured some hostility, so this thing's not going to take me out. This thing's not going to kill me. He overcame. By his blood, I'm set free. By his blood, I'm, vic- I'm a victor. I might not feel it right now, but I know the end result of this thing. He's got me. I'm with him. I need to refocus my attention away from this and that and them to him. Does that make sense? Does that help you? Consider him who endured from sin or such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary weary or faint-hearted. And and, and let me read you this next verse, verse 4. It says, in your struggle against sin. Because that is what your struggle is. So you have to consider him so you don't grow weary in your struggle against sin because I'm telling you, if, if you, if you have to struggle against sin and falling short and failing without Jesus, you are in trouble. So I, I gotta make sure I keep watching Jesus or else I'm gonna become overwhelmed by this thing. Because that is my struggle. 
The reality is, you, we get caught up thinking our struggle is like against our fiance, or, or we think our struggle is against our bills. Sometimes we think our struggle is just against our emotions, but the reality is, struggle is against the things inside us that aren't working. And you might take it out on your bills, you might take it out on your kid, but come on, struggle's not against your kid. There's something wrong in you, you got a simmering anger, you got a frustration. You feel like you're not enough, and so you're taking it out on your spouse. But come on, it's not them. Let's be honest. 99% is your own struggle against yourself and what you're going through. And let's be honest about that so we can begin to see, God, what do we do about this? It says, in your own struggle against sin, this is where I love the writer is blatantly honest. He says, you know, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He said, come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You're not, you're not killing it. Like, you can, you can stay in this fight a little bit longer. You know? Because I, I'm, as a pastor, I hear this excuse probably more than anything else. This is the, the number one excuse I hear is, is um, uh, I have tried everything. <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm going through it. But I have tried everything. And I'm always like, everything? How old are you? How many lives have you lived? You've tried every remedy. You've gone, you've gone everywhere. I've tried everything. And I'm always like, well, have you read this book? I've heard of that book, yes. Yes. You haven't, tried every, you haven't read one chapter in that book yet. I, I just think sometimes we use that. We think, I've tried everything. And, and, and Paul's saying, have you, have you resisted up until shedding your blood? No? Okay, well, then that's the line. So you haven't tried everything yet. You haven't bled over this thing to try and stop it. And it's like when Jesus said, look, if your right hand offends you, cut your hand off. How many people are got, you got your hands today? He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You say, oh, Jesus, come on. I think the point is, look, you haven't tried everything. You could, you could push. Look, you haven't tried. I've tried everything. Well, have, have you read this book? Have you gone to the altar? Have you joined the Freedom Course? Have you done a change crew? Have you fasted yet? I mean, real fast, not like social media. That's not a real fast. Like real, like food, like things that hurt. Like, have you fasted? I'm, 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 I'm giving you attitude today. I, I'm sorry about it. I don't mean to do it. I'm, I just feel like I'm in a punchy mood. I don't know what's going on. Have you prayed with someone about it? Have you prayed longer than three weeks? I'm just saying you haven't tried everything. You haven't tried everything yet. There's a lot of things left in this fight. So don't give up now. Stay in this race. Stay in this race. And, and then here's the, here's the beautiful picture is you don't have to shed your blood. The reality is you can still struggle. You still are in the fight and know that Jesus already shed his blood. He literally did pay the ultimate sacrifice for your sin, for your failures, for your shortcomings. He already... He already paid the blood price. And what that blood now does is it makes you justified before God. It actually makes you a child now of God. You're now a child of God. So make, make no mistake, you're not running this thing alone. Everyone around you is with you. You still got more in the tank. Keep fighting, keep pushing, keep going, and know who you are. You're a child of God. You're a son, you're a daughter. And that's what he goes on and, and he says in, in verse 5, he says, have you forgotten this? This encouragement that addresses you as sons, as children. And then this is the encouragement. He says, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. 
nor be weary when reproved by him. And, and so what he's saying is you're a child, and therefore, like a good father, he's going to discipline you. I know this is where we don't amen, but, but can I just tell you, this is, how, this is how God is bringing you close to himself. Is he's going to pull you away from the things that are going to harm you. And he's going to correct you so that he can receive you. And, and what, what, what the writer is saying is when God disciplines you, don't overreact on either one of the extremes. Don't overreact in depression. And, 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 and um, or let, me, let me start with this one. Don't overreact in disregarding. He says, my son, don't regard lightly. Don't disregard the correction of God. As if it's no big deal. As whatever. I'll have another chance. Come on, just put some grace on it. We're good. Let me just keep living. Don't disregard what God's doing. He's giving you a chance. He's giving you an out. Bible says after being reproved many times, though, you will be cut off. In other words, there is a limit of the number of times that God's going to say, cut that out. Until eventually God starts saying, I'm done talking to you then. I think that's, I think that's one of the, the worst things that God could do is, is become quiet in your life. Because that's when you know you really are far from God. When he has met such a hard heart, he says, I'm done talking until you start listening. Don't disregard. But then he comes on the other side and says, and don't get depressed. When God corrects you, don't think it's the end of the world. And God does correct you and he does discipline. Because see, God is an active God. He's, like, he's not like the father that just sat there reading the paper all the time. He's not like the father that left one day and never came back. No, God is intimately involved in what's going on in your life. And he's active in your life. And so he's going to correct some things that would end up hurting you. But he says, but, but from that, don't get depressed. Don't get down. Don't, don't get like, like, this is the end. Like, my calling is lost. Like, I'll never get back on the right track. Like, God, God must hate me. No, come on. You're overreacting now. God's discipline is not to bring you down, but to bring you closer to him. So don't get depressed. A lot of times that's the reaction that we have. Those two extremes, and he's saying, no, no, neither one of them. But, but verse 6, it goes on, and he says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When I used to read this verse, I would always get focused on the Lord disciplines. You know, New King James says he chastises. Chastisement. One of the words says he scourges. I mean, this is serious. He actually, seriously reproves. And I used to think, oh, man, I can't handle that. I can't handle that. But see, understand, God doesn't discipline you because he hates you. He corrects you because he loves. And even if it stings, even if it hurts, it hurts to get spanked by God. But when he gives you that backhand, you know. I know he loves me, though. You ever get knocked on the top of the head by a knuckle? You ever, you ever have that? I think that's one of the Holy Spirit's go-to moves. I feel it all the time. All the time. I feel the Holy Spirit go, whap, don't do that again. And it's like, whoa. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Everyone's like, did you just fall out in the Spirit? Like, no, nah, no, nah, he just hit me. He just hit me in the head. Why? He disciplines the ones he loves. Something in me thinks when he disciplines me, it's because he rejects me. But it's not true. Disciplining is proving that he loves you. And he, he chastises every son whom he receives. In other words, discipleship or uh, discipline lead, leads to sonship. When you become a, a child of God, he's going to begin to correct you. But because he loves you and he, wants, he really wants the best for you, this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're in this race. You're going to win this race. 
Jesus is with you all the way through. Don't grow weary. Don't get your eyes on the wrong thing. And by the way, God's your coach and your trainer. And he's going to correct your form. And he's going to help you. And he's going to let you know where the obstacles are. And he's going to bring some strength onto the inside of you. Why? Because he wants to strengthen your spirit. So when he corrects you, it's not as an angry, frustrated dad. He corrects you as a good dad. Look, look, what, look what the writer says in, in verse 7. It says this. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now nah, you got a good father. He's not overbearing and he, he, he's not abusive, but he is disciplining. In, in verse 8, it goes on and he says, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're, you're, you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's saying discipline is a mark that you are a child of God. You're saying, I'm not feeling disciplined. Well, you better check your salvation because it's a mark that God's calling you his kid. In verse 9, it goes on and says, besides this, we've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lived? Watch this next verse. I like this. Paul, the writer, gets personal. For they, for they the fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. I like this. Because you see him like, you know, he says, for they, for our fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. I like that. It's like he's not saying as it was good. He was like, it just it seemed best to them. You know, have you ever got discipline for your dad and like kind of disagree? Like, I think, I don't know. I think he went a little too far on that. Like, that's what he's saying. He's like, look, our dads, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. There's some things I still disagree with. You know, it was back in, in 2 AD, and my dad was really mad. I don't know. I just see it so human there. He's saying, but God's a better God. And when he disciplines, it really is for your perfection. It's totally out of a good heart and totally to bring you into the right place because God wants to bring you in, into that place. And in, in the next verse says this, um, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Come on, isn't that true? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I was at a pancake establishment the other day with my wife. And, um, and uh, we saw these kids and, and they, they, were, you know, they were good kids. But after like there for half an hour, 45 minutes, these kids started acting up. And they, they started to turn into bad kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, it started to get wild. Am I not allowed to call a kid bad kids? They started to be undisciplined and wild-acting children. And it just it got crazy. And, and I was like, man, somebody needs to smack that kid. No, somebody needs to, somebody needs to have a, a, a word with that young, youngling. And, and we kind of looked back, and, and I noticed, like, that the mom was on her phone. She was on Insta the whole time, like, watching other people dance. It was like, what are you doing? And I don't mean to shame her, but sort of, a little bit of shame. And, and it, was, it was so interesting to me that, like, she wasn't paying attention to the kids. She was totally unconcerned. And so the kids were acting out, not because they were bad kids, but because they had a parent that was unconcerned. God doesn't correct you just because you're bad. God corrects you because he's concerned. In fact, through his discipline, he's showing that he loves you, that he's for you. Because when I saw those kids, like, these aren't bad kids in their nature. They're just trying to get attention. And sometimes that's us. But God's saying, okay, but let me show you who you really are, how I designed you, how I made you. I'm going to love you, therefore I'm going to correct you. 
remember when I was a kid, I, I jumped up on a, uh, on a tractor. My parents were, were building their house, and me and the contractor's son were there. I was like four or five, and, and we jumped up on like a bulldozer that was in front of the house, and, um, and my friend was like, hey, you want to turn it on? And I was like, heck yeah. Let's turn this thing on. And when he turned it on, the bulldozer was in gear. And it started going towards my parents' house that was half finished, you know. I can see it clear as day right now. I can see it so clear. And it's going forward, pop, 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 pop. And all of a sudden, you know, like alarm bells went off and guys are yelling like, oh, these stupid kids. And like, it's going crazy. And I'll never forget, forget my dad ran from around the backyard like the flash, man. He looked like a Heisman Trophy winner the way he was running. It was amazing. And he jumped up onto this moving bulldozer and he pulled me off of it. And the other dad jumped on and, and he stopped the bulldozer. And I remember my dad was carrying me away and, um, and I was crying and he was reproving me. <laughs> Very seriously reproving me. And I remember I was looking across the way, and this other kid, the dad was just like, ah, oh, I'm so glad that you're good. And they're laughing. And I think he was giving them, like, cotton candy or something. I don't know. Maybe it's my memory. But it was just, he was, like, up, you know. And I remember thinking, like, well, he started this, you know. <laughs> he was the bulldozer operator. He's got a union card. It's his fault, you know. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget that. But, you know, I'm thankful that my dad loved me enough to correct me. So that for the rest of my life, I wasn't running bulldozers through stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm grateful that my dad corrected me so I'm not running bulldozers through my finances. Bulldozers through my relationships. Bulldozers through my actions. I'm grateful he taught me how to think through the consequences of things at a very young age. And he did it because he loved me. He didn't want to come out one day and find me underneath the tracks of this thing. No, he wanted... To rescue me early. And look, that's what God, that's what God wants to do to you. He's concerned about you. He loves you. And he's going to begin to correct you so that you don't cause devastation to yourself and those around you. He disciplines you so that you'll have a strong spirit. Let me read you this last verse. In verse 12, it says this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. He's saying, come on, get back up. Get back up. Come on, lift your hands. Get back in the fight. Step back on your, on your feet. Get back in the race. And he goes on in, in verse 13. And, and he says, it makes straight the paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's God's goal for us. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be in the race. He wants you to be in the fight. He's going to make the paths straight. In other words, he's going to make it clear. Why? So that healing can come on the inside of you. What's God's goal? It's that you have a strong spirit. That you get a strong spirit that you can finish this race and you can finish it well. I pray you're not stumbling all over this race for your whole life. Yeah, you might stumble a couple times, but I don't think that's your portion. I don't think tripping over the obstacles is your portion. I believe you're going to be able to hit your stride, find a rhythm of grace, that God's going to strengthen you and train you so that you're going to be able to finish this thing well. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.